Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org, for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. And kids, you are free to go to eKids downstairs where you'll get age appropriate content. Enjoy yourselves down there. That's what I'm talking about. That's the excitement we're looking for. Lee, you'll be preaching in a minute, and I'm going to do that same thing for you. (laughs) We're starting a new series today called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I'm going to ask you a disturbing question right off the bat, so prepare yourself. How many days are we from Christmas? Anybody know the answer? 43 days. How's that feel? Yes, yes. So I'm going to show you an equally disturbing image to the question I just asked you. That's our living room right there. So how does that feel? Who is irritated that our Christmas decorations are up? Anybody irritated? We'll pray for you afterwards. We appreciate your honesty. This is a safe space, but it's okay. And there's a different countdown we're doing in our household, which is probably why our Christmas tree is up. And this countdown is nine months 13 days, okay? This nine months, 13 days will take us to August 26th, which is Ian's first day of college. So mothers, you know what's happening. Dads, you're like, toughen up. Your kids got to grow up. Yes, but it does feel a little soft spot for me. It could be our last Christmas together as a unit of five all in the house. So we want to extend this Christmas season because we can't slow down time, right? But we can look at the quality of our time. And so there's something about having extra weekends to reflect on family, reflect on goodness, reflect on the joy that Jesus brings. So we've extended the Christmas holiday season just a little bit, so you'll have to forgive us for that. But it's somewhat special. Life is fast, isn't it? Like, can you believe we're here? There's just this natural, hurried pace to our existence. I don't know how many of you are like me, where when you're at a checkout line, I'm looking at which line's going to get me through there the quickest— I'm counting how many items each you know, shopping cart has in it, and I'm looking at the efficiency of the cashier so that I can make the best choice to get through the quickest line, right? Everybody feeling that? Yes, you know. And then there's also times when I'm driving and I'm looking at the fastest lane, the optimal lane, even if I get, ar- get around you to get to you to get fast, that's kind of the pace. When I'm working on something, I'm oftentimes thinking about the next thing I have to work on, so I get distracted because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, look how long this list is, and hurry can just become a part of our existence. I got a chance to go on vacation over the summer, and I read this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and it really challenged us to slow down. And his big point was, Jesus was never in a hurry. Like, you look through the Gospels, of anyone who had the most things to do, Jesus was not in a hurry. He was welcome to a distraction Even when he was told, I need you to come heal my son or my daughter, as he was heading there, if someone else was in need, he would deliberately pause and slow down. And this is just the statement you can look at there on the screen. It's just the problem is there isn't one place in Scripture where we see Jesus was in a hurry, but 
there's rarely a day we aren't moving in a hurried pace. And that's just going to be exasperated here in the holidays, isn't it? Like we're going to have more opportunities to go be with other people. We're going to have more opportunities to work extra hours to maybe get gifts. And so this hurried pace can catch us off guard. So to do this in November, I'm hoping will help us think through, celebrate this time, and develop some spiritual disciplines that can carry us on to the future. We're going to be looking at four disciplines that we will take one a week. The first is the Sabbath. That's what Lee will be talking to us about today. Then we're going to be looking at the process of simplifying our lives, then slowing down intentionally, and then silence and solitude. Okay? That's our journey. So let's start off by inviting Lee to come on up and teach us on Sabbath. You can give, give him a hand. Give him that kid energy we had. Woo! Woo! Uh, when he said that's what he's going to do when I come up here, he meant send me to the basement. <laughs> but I guess he just meant hoop and holler, huh? Good morning, ECC. Wow, great to be back. Pat and I have been enjoying October in the mountains of Tennessee, but we are thrilled to be back with you all here in Pennsylvania. And greetings to those of us uh, worshiping together online. Thanks. Turn around and wave to the other members of the, the congregation who are with us here. We have a strong sense that we're with you and hope you have uh, experience of being with us this morning. And thanks to Matt for giving me the opportunity to do some teaching today. <clears throat> it was the year 1929. The country was in what we now call a what? A great... Depression, exactly. A great depression. And uh, one of the results of that is that people were not buying luxury items. Makes sense, doesn't it? But they included in their list of luxury items soft drinks like Coca-Cola. And it turns out that Coke sales in 1929 were slumping. They were just nosediving. And the head of Coke, Robert Woodruff, noticed. So he got together with his ad employees, his ad men, and said, we have got to do something to convince the American people that it's okay to buy Coke, even though we're in a Great Depression. And so in 1929, they came up with this slogan, the pause that refreshes. Is anybody actually old enough to remember when that was still being used? No, it's, it's new to most of you, but Pat and I can remember, <laughs> for better or worse, we can remember in the 1950s, this was still the lead slogan for the Coca-Cola bottling company, the pause that refreshes. Um, and it worked. It absolutely worked. When they started using this slogan, Coke sales took off. Why? Because it offered people, it offered them at least, what people needed. The sense that they could pause from the challenging circumstances of their economic lives and, more important, be refreshed for the challenges that, that lay ahead. So it's not just a pause. It's a pause that refreshes. Well, with that phrase in mind, the pause that refreshes, I'd like to talk to you this morning about two things, actually. They're going to sound the same to you, and they are, of course, closely related, 
but they're not the same. And here are the two things. The Sabbath and Sabbath. Okay? The Sabbath and Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath is a day of the week. It's Saturday, the seventh day. Always has, always will be. It's a Jewish thing. It's an Old Testament thing. Sabbath, on the other hand, is a concept. It's a Hebrew word that means pause, intermission, time out, rest. That's Sabbath. But we need to be really careful about this word rest. If you get up early on a Saturday morning and um, clean the house and rake the leaves, you might just, by early afternoon, be ready for a, a rest, a, a nap. Yeah, thank you. We got, a, we got a napper over here. Where are the nappers in the room? Huh? There we go. There we go. Uh, you are really smart. Yeah, you're, you're ready for a rest uh, before the Penn State game starts. But to be clear, what makes that nap a rest is not the physical inactivity. It's the rejuvenating effect of an alternate activity, a break from physical labor. It's a pause that refreshes, huh? Well, to, to take a, a, a parallel situation. What if you're in elementary school and you've been sitting there all morning at your desk writing and rewriting the multiplication tables? Do kids even do multiplication tables in the age of calculators? I don't even know. Do, do they? You, people still memorize? Okay, good. Um, that's my only memory from fourth grade is multiplication tables. I'm, I'm glad somebody is still doing that. Well, well, think about that. So here they've been there sitting there all morning doing their multiplication tables over and over and over again. If the teacher wants to give you a rest from that, he or she takes you out for what? Recess, of course. Right. It's a break from physical inactivity. So, when we talk about Sabbath rest, we mean anything that's rejuvenating, anything that's refreshing, rehabilitating, recreational, recreational, from a nap to a workout, a pause that refreshes. Okay, <clears throat> now back to thing one, the Sabbath. What do we know about the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath? Well, first we know that Jews observed the Sabbath as a day of remembrance. Exodus 20 tells us that the Saturday Sabbath of Jewish people commemorated God's creative work. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's the connection to creation. But a few books later in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says that the Saturday Sabbath was to commemorate God's liberating work. Hmm. 
Listen to this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Isn't that interesting? So which was it? Was it creation they were remembering or liberation? Liberation or creation? And the answer is both. And why not? God's creation, God's liberation, equally worth celebrating. And on Sabbath, they remembered both. Well, second, the Jews observed the Sabbath, the Sabbath, as a day of rest. Saturday, rest, was obviously connected to the rhythm of God's creative work, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. So, for Jews, all work was forbidden on Saturday. And that command to not to work on Saturdays is all over the Old Testament law. It's mentioned lots of places in the first five books of the Old Testament. Jewish rabbis named 39 distinct types of work forbidden on the Sabbath. 39. On Saturday, there was to be no carrying or repairing, no lighting a fire or putting out a fire, no writing or erasing, no cooking, washing, sewing, or tearing, no knotting or untying a knot, no shaping, no plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, or winnowing, no selecting, sifting, grinding, or kneading, no combing, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, or unraveling of cloth, no building or demolishing, no trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, or marking a hide. There they are. 39 distinct prohibitions. Quite a list, eh? Let me give you a couple of specific details. I won't describe each one of the 39, but let's, let's take cooking, for example. Huh? Jews could not cook at all on Saturday. That was work. But they had to eat on Saturday, right? So what could they do about that? They were taught to prepare their food on Friday, not only for what they ate on Friday, but the food that they ate on Saturday. Well, then they had to keep it overnight, right, till Saturday. That, that caused a little bit of a problem because what if it got cold, huh? Then it was practically inedible. So they had to figure out some way that they were allowed to keep it warm till Saturday but not cook it any further because if, if it actually cooked anymore, then it would be considered what? Work, exactly. And that was forbidden. So this is what the rabbis taught. The Jews could insulate the pots of food that they had prepared on Friday for Saturday 
But there were sharp restrictions on what they could insulate it with, because if you insulate it with some things, it actually causes enough heat to cook it further, right? So the rabbi said, you may surround your pot with dry straw, that'll keep it warm, or dry manure. But you're not allowed to insulate your pot with wet straw or wet manure. Did I just say you could put dry manure around your Saturday lunch? I think I did. I think I said that. And that's what the rabbis taught, actually. So, okay, dry manure was fine. Just remember that, okay? Next time you're trying to keep a dish warm when your company's late, dry manure works. Uh, one more quick example. What about walking? You may have noticed, was walking on the list? Is the list still up there? Yeah, is walking up there? No, walking is not up there, why not? It is physical activity, you would think it would count as work. You've gotta to go to church, except back then they called it synagogue, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> Jews, all Jews had to get to the synagogue, of course. So you have to be able to walk a little bit, but only far enough to get to the synagogue for worship, right? So the rabbis put an exact limitation on how far you could walk. If you walked less than that, Fine. If you walked more than that, it was work, it was forbidden, it broke the Sabbath. And the limit they put on it was 2,000 cubits. You know what a cubit is? It's this. Fingertip to elbow, cubit, about a foot and a half. That's a cubit. And 2,000 cubits was the limit. 2,000 cubits is about six-tenths of a mile, about a kilometer. And uh, so that was the absolute limit. Any a step more was breaking the Sabbath and breaking the law. So laws regarding Saturday work went on and on and on. So much of the focus on the Sabbath as rest was on what they couldn't do, what they shouldn't do. But good news there was one positive thing that they did on the Sabbath. That's because, third, Jews observed the Sabbath as a day of worship. They gathered at worship services on Friday evening, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. Worshipers gave praise to God by singing the Psalms that we have in our Bibles. They petitioned God's help through uh, many prayers they listened to readings of scripture from what we call the Old Testament, their scriptures. And then they heard instruction based on those scriptures from their rabbis. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Singing, praying, reading scripture, and preaching. Pretty, sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, each service, each synagogue worship service on Saturday, Friday night counted as Saturday, uh, was followed by a family meal. And uh, the family meal always concluded with a glass of wine and the breaking of two loaves of bread. Hmm, does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> yeah, so that's how Jews worshiped back in Jesus' day. So there we have it, the Sabbath. The Saturday gathering of Jews was all about three things. Remembering what God had done by creating the universe 
and by liberating his people from slavery. It was all about resting from every form of work, just like God had rested from creation. And it was all about worshiping, giving praise to God and seeking God's will. But we Christians, us, us, don't keep the Sabbath. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that Jesus never reiterated to his disciples, to his followers. Only one that he left out of his own teaching. Why? Well, he adopted uh, some of the principles from the Sabbath, but he abandoned many of the practices that the Jews held sacred and adapted the Sabbath into Sabbath for his own new covenant purposes. For one thing, we don't gather for worship on Saturday, do we? We don't gather for worship on the Sabbath. We gather on Sunday, the first day of the week, not the seventh. And that is not Sabbath, okay? Sunday is not Sabbath. Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath, always was, always will be. By the way, why don't we gather on Saturday? Or maybe I should put it this way. Why do we gather on Sunday? Resurrection Day. Thank you very much. Does everybody know that? Now you do, right? Yes, the reason why we gather is because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. So that's when Christians gather to celebrate his overcoming of death and his victorious resurrection. Sunday is therefore the Lord's Day. And what makes it the Lord's Day is the resurrection. So next Sunday, when we arrive here, I want everybody to come in the door and you can say Happy Sunday if you wish. Is that, I think you said that this morning. Yeah, yeah, right at the very beginning. I'm remembering that. Yeah, I was paying attention. Des got up there and said, happy Sunday, everybody. What a great thing to say. But I'm going to suggest an alternative, not better, but another possibility. Say, happy Lord's Day. Or say, happy Resurrection Day, my friends. Or better yet, maybe best of all, happy Easter. <laughs> Christians have 52 Easter Sundays every year. Think about it next time you gather for worship and celebrate the resurrection when you step in the door, okay? Easter bunny or not. For another thing, Christians don't keep the Sabbath because we want to follow Jesus in the ways he adopted and adapted the concept of Sabbath. Well, what does that look like to, to think of Sabbath the way Jesus did? Well, for one thing, because we follow Jesus, we too want to experience Sabbath as remembrance. We, Christians, remember God's creation and God's liberation, just like the Jews. How do we know that? How do we know they cared about creation? Well, listen to what Paul says in Colossians. For in him, and he's talking about Jesus, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, 
all things have been created through him and for him. And he's talking about our Lord, Jesus. So, Jesus, uh, so early Christians cared about the creation. Jesus, our Lord, is Lord of creation. And early Christians cared about liberation, right? Of course, we believe that Jesus came to liberate us all from slavery to self-centeredness and sin, from every kind of bondage that besets us. We believe in liberation. Jesus, early in his ministry, said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set free the oppressed. So Jesus, our Lord, is a liberating Lord. Well, for another thing, because of Jesus, we too want to experience Sabbath as rest. Just because we don't keep the Sabbath on Saturday doesn't mean that we don't need rest and don't care about rest. Uh, Many of us, maybe all of us in this room and everybody uh, listening and looking in online needs to declare a major intermission in the drama of our lives. Blow the whistle for a break, a time out, huh? Just take a pause that refreshes. We need to embrace Sabbath rest in the midst of the hectic, hurried lives that that Matt was talking about in his intro to our series. Now remember, rest isn't what we don't do. Rest isn't what we can't do, what we aren't allowed to do. Rest is not, Christian rest, much needed, but Christian rest is not in the prohibitions. It's in a person. How do I know that? Jesus himself said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's an item of work. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. Thank you so much, Des, for um, introducing our worship service this morning with Psalm 23. I know it. I know it by heart. And I had never noticed the connection here. Did you notice one of the things that the shepherd does? He restores our soul. Same concept as what Jesus promised in that beautiful come to me passage. So Jesus, our Lord, is the Lord of the restful yoke. Because of Jesus, we too want to experience Sabbath as worship. This is all tracking with the Jewish experience in the Old Testament so far, isn't it? Jesus worshiped God. Jesus went to the synagogue on Saturday read scriptures out loud, preached sermons, no doubt sang the psalms and prayed the prayers, but he also went out and prayed in the desert, didn't he? He also prayed all night on the mountaintop. He gave thanks every time he broke bread and he praised God whenever God revealed God's love and power through Jesus. So Jesus, our Lord, is Lord of Sabbath worship, 
But here's where we kind of part ways. Because of Jesus, we Christians also want to experience Sabbath as work. What? That sounds kind of contradictory, right, to everything I've just been saying about Sabbath. Well, Jesus used the Sabbath in a way that was completely different from the Jews of his day. And in fact, it seriously infuriated the Jews that he did. Yeah. Jesus worked on the Sabbath. He served other people's needs on the Sabbath. Now, I'm not talking about teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Jewish religious leaders were fine with that. That, that kind of got accepted, uh, kind of got excused. But I'm talking about healing on the Sabbath. You know the stories, some of you, don't you? The man with the crippled legs, the man with a disabled hand, the man with an unclean spirit, the woman with a crippling back disorder who couldn't even stand up straight. That was all work. And Jesus did it voluntarily on the Sabbath. In fact, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish religious leaders began to persecute him. So Jesus, our Lord, broke the Sabbath, but he kept Sabbath. He redefined Sabbath. He rested how? by reaching out to others in their physical and mental and emotional and spiritual need to give them renewal and rejuvenation, a pause that refreshed. So Jesus, our Lord, is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, time to sum up. Uh, sum up let's sum up some of the principles of the Sabbath rest that Jesus taught and figure out how we're going to maybe implement some of them in our hectic, hurried lives, both as individual believers and followers and as a congregation. How are we going to follow Jesus into a life of rejuvenating work and restorative rest? Well, first, we, us, we're going to remember the creative work of God. We're going to get involved in creation care, caring about creation. I think no one should outdo us Christians in celebrating the world that God has made and in showing our care for the world that God has made. Christian environmentalism, Christian environmentalism, is not a contradiction in terms. Creation care is, is Christian, and we need to find ways to do it. For a second thing, we're going to remember the liberating work of God. We're going to get involved in, in liberating love, care for the oppressed, for victims of war, and victims of injustice, and victims of discrimination. It's got to be on our congregational and personal to-do lists, and then we need to find ways to do it. For a third thing, we need to remember to rest, the main theme of our, of our series this month. 
But remember, rest doesn't mean making lists of what we forbid ourselves to do or what we forbid others around us uh, from doing. Rest for us means forging ahead together with, a, with finding pauses that refresh in, in good work that rejuvenates the lives of other people. So we need to practice rest, sure enough, but that can include reaching out to others and to the needs around us just as surely as it includes be still and know that I am God. See, both, both of those for Christians are forms of meaningful rest. So what good work could we do for, for one another? Uh, rake leaves for our... Can you tell I'm, I'm having kind of a obsession with raking leaves today? I don't know. I, uh, I spent the month of October enjoying the leaves and raking <laughs> the leaves uh, by the end of the month. Yeah. So but, but what, what could, de- could we do? Well, how about raking leaves not only on my property, but my neighbor's property, huh? How about visiting the homebound or the hospitalized or encouraging the imprisoned? Anything that would provide restoration for them and rejuvenating rest for ourselves. Well, think of things. I hope you come up with some some simple answers to that, and then I hope you do it. I hope I do. For a fourth thing, we're going to remember to worship God. We're going to incorporate more and more meaningful moments of worship into our lives and not just on Sunday mornings, as wonderful as this gathering is. When we rise, we'll praise God. When we eat, we'll thank God. When we go to our school or workplace, we'll thank God for meaningful labor. When we interact with friends and family, we'll praise God for their presence in our lives. When we encounter beauty in nature, we'll give God the glory. On and on it goes, a life of worship. And fifth, finally, we want to remember to work for the Lord. We're going to serve the needs of others. The need to hear about a Savior, the need to be helped by that Savior, healed by that Savior. Sometimes our work will be thoughtful silence. Sometimes it will be stillness. Sometimes it will be meditation. But sometimes our work will be cooking for others, singing to others, reading to others, knitting for others, walking with others, gardening for others, you you name it. Just fill in the blank. Um, Any other form of restful work. And if we dedicate that good work to God, accepting the yoke of Jesus, we'll be refreshed will rest in our work, serving others for God's sake. Well, I know I'm old, but I know it's 2023, okay? It's not 1929. But admit it, we're facing some pretty depressing circumstances, aren't we? I I haven't heard anybody call 2023, the Great Depression, but from a spiritual and emotional uh, perspective, this is a pretty depressing time we live in. 
right now, and I think we need to take that seriously. We live in a world at war, political dysfunction, economic ups and downs, worries at work and at home, illnesses, crumbling, struggling relationships. It, it could be kind of depressing. We need a pause, not just from hurried and hectic lives, but from the circumstances of our lives. We need a pause that refreshes, a pause in our challenging lives and refreshment for the challenges that we know are going to lie ahead. But the good news is we've got one. It's called Sabbath rest. God invented it. God gave it to us. God illustrated it for us, and Jesus reaffirmed it. Now, let's be honest. Some of you uh, listening to me right now, here or elsewhere, need to join Jesus on his Sabbath journey to find rest for your souls, to find wholeness in your brokenness, joy in your discouragement, hope in your despair, meaning meaningfulness in your work, in your relationships, in your life, direction in your confusion. And some of you here listening to me just might want to join us at ECC in our Sabbath journey with Jesus in worship and in service. If you'd like to discuss either of those decisions or any decisions, or if you want someone to pray with. There will be someone right over here by the banner, right after the service, to talk to you about those decisions and to pray with you about your needs. But for now, let's, uh, let's us pray together, okay? So we thank you, God, for the rest that comes from yoking ourselves with Jesus. Help us remember your goodness and your greatness, your creative power, your liberating love, and help us worship you sincerely and work for others eagerly, all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.